Some, some themes that came up from my group discussion were like investing in people and really caring about their subject and about us, so yeah. Um, my name is Abby, um, and uh, warm welcome to all of you here, um, especially if it's your first time joining us. Um, and it's my pleasure today to read God's Word. So today's reading is from uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 10 to um, 4, verse 8. Oh, and if you um, do not have a paper Bible and would like a paper Bible, then please raise your hand um, and someone will get to you with one. Before we begin, let me pray. Dear gracious Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege we have of reading it. Um, I pray that you would please teach us from your word. Um, and I pray for Enrique um, as he preaches, Lord, that you would please help him to preach faithfully. Lord, teach your word well. Um, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Timothy verse three, chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is God's word. church. Morning, 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 morning. Alrighty, let's get this set up. Beautiful, alright. 
Guys, it was so great to hear how much love you all had for your teachers. I think it's so great. For me, my favourite teacher would probably have to be Mrs. H. Here we go. Mrs. H taught me in years four, five, and six. But at first, to be honest, I was actually pretty scared of her. Whenever I saw her coming in my direction, I would turn and walk away. But as I got to know her, I realized that she was actually really quite caring. She cared for me, she cared for my classmates, she invested in our growth, she took the time to explain things carefully. She knew how to have fun, but she also knew how to correct us when we stepped out of line. Mrs. H was a teacher who motivated me to grow and who challenged me. And I'll always appreciate her for that. Now, there are a couple of teachers here with us today, but most of us don't have a formal school teaching role. But that doesn't mean that we don't teach. Parents, you'll teach your kids how to navigate the world and how to mature for everyday life. Teenagers, you might teach your younger siblings a new skill. Workers, you might teach your colleagues how to use a new computer program. In some way or another, all of us have the opportunity to teach in some capacity. But the most important thing that you will ever teach anyone is the gospel. Now, the gospel is the good news about Jesus, and it has the power to change lives. The message is so important, so we have to be faithful and diligent when we teach it. So, what makes a faithful gospel teacher? Let's set the scene and see what the Apostle Paul has to say about the topic. After decades of traveling and preaching the gospel, Paul finds himself locked up in prison. And it's not looking good. He knows that he'll probably be executed soon and he won't be able to look after the church anymore. So trusting in God, he decides to pass on the reins to his student, Timothy. Towards the end of his final letter to Timothy, Paul reminds him of the current dire situation. Please keep your Bibles open with me and read from chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, that doesn't sound like fun. Paul calls back to his sufferings for the gospel. He says that all Christians will be persecuted. He says that imposters will come to deceive the people of the church. But it's not all doom and gloom. He reminds Timothy that God has rescued him before. And what's more, God can use Timothy to rescue the church and lead them through these tough times. 
Paul needs Timothy to be a strong kingdom worker and a faithful gospel teacher. Someone who is worthy to lead the church and to continue the work that God has already begun. So let's see what, how Paul describes to Timothy what a faithful gospel teacher does. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from, those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There it is. Our first point for this morning, faithful gospel teachers teach from Scripture. For Timothy to be an effective kingdom worker, he must teach from Scripture. By the Holy Scriptures, Paul is referring to all of the ancient writings from the Old and New Testaments in the Bible. Thankfully, Timothy has been taught the Holy Scriptures since he was a baby. He's learned what they say, He's become convinced of the message, and now he's ready to teach them for himself. But what is this message that Timothy needs to teach? It's right there in verse 15. Salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I know that a lot of you in this church right now have, have heard this many, many times before, but it's so important, and we all need reminding. So here is the message. We are all guilty of sin. We are all destined for eternal separation from God. But because he loves us so much, he sent his son to live the life that we never could and to die the death that we deserved. Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for our sins. Now three days later, Jesus defeated death, and rose from the grave. Now he promises us forgiveness for our sins and eternity with him in heaven forever. Now how do we receive this free gift? It's right there again, verse 15. Faith in Christ Jesus. We only need to believe in our hearts that this is true. We only need to believe in our hearts that Jesus' death was enough to pay for our sins. And we can receive that gift of forgiveness. Now, I don't know about you guys, but to me, that is pretty incredible. Every sin I've ever committed, every sin I will ever commit, wiped away forever. Every time I have lied, every time I've looked with lust, Every time I have dishonored God, every sin gone forever. Jesus gave his life for me. So now I'm free to give my life to him. This simple yet life-changing truth can be found throughout the whole Bible. You can see it all throughout the New Testament. Accounts of Jesus' teachings, death, and resurrection can be found in the four Gospels. Paul talks about it in his letters. So does John and Peter. But what about the Old Testament? 
Even though all 39 books of the Old Testament were written long before Jesus was ever born, they all point clearly to him. Stories like the flood and the Passover are patterns of God's judgment and Jesus' coming sacrifice. The writings of the prophets point clearly to Jesus as well. Take Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was punished, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. The Old Testament is clearly Jesus-shaped. You can find Jesus and his message of faith and repentance all throughout the Bible. You just have to look. That's what Paul means when he says that scripture can make you wise for salvation. Okay, we know that reading scripture can help us to understand how to be saved, but then what? We just leave our Bibles sitting on the shelf to collect dust? No, we keep reading it. We keep teaching it. Why? Let's see what the first part of verse 16 says. All scripture is God-breathed. Like Corinne mentioned earlier, that means that the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible authors. What we read is exactly what God wants us to hear. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of you in this room who don't quite understand how significant that is. God is speaking to us directly through this book. Have you ever heard anyone say, I just need a sign from God, or I just don't hear God's voice right now? Hello, open it up, read it. God is speaking directly to you now. If you want a relationship with someone, you can't just ignore them. You have to communicate with them. If you want a relationship with God, you have to hear his voice. If you want a relationship with God, you have to read his word. Now, church, I'm, I'm really not perfect with this. I know the right thing for me to do is to read my Bible every single day. But so often, I would prefer to just watch TV or flop on my bed and go to sleep. I have to keep reminding myself that I don't read this Bible just to tick the box and say, yep, I've read it today, I'm a good Christian now. I have to remind myself that I read this Bible because that's how I hear from my Father in heaven. I wonder if you do too. Okay, <clears throat> let's see what we can do with Scripture. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What more could you want? If we use scripture, we can teach, rebuke, correct, and train our fellow Christians in righteousness. The scriptures can shape them to be more like Jesus, and it can equip them to perform every good deed. Now, I know there are believers in the crowd right now who are thinking, no, that's too hard for me. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the training. I can't teach the gospel. I'll just leave that for the pastors. They can do that. 
If that's you right now, please hear me. You don't need a theology degree. You don't need eloquent speech or the answers to every question. You just need the Bible. This is God's word. It has the power to change lives. So please use it and trust God to do the work. We're all called to make disciples of Jesus and teach them the scriptures. In this crowd right now, we have leaders from CPE youth and Sunday school who teach the gospel. Parents can teach the Bible to their children. You might even read the Bible with your non-Christian friend at school or at uni. As a church, we're to work together to faithfully teach the scriptures and train others in righteousness. Now, training and teaching sounds pretty good. But verse 16 also says that scripture can be used to correct and rebuke. Now, that's a lot harder. Being rebuked by scripture is kind of like Google Maps telling you to make a U-turn because you're driving in the completely wrong direction. Now, I'll be honest, my sense of direction is pretty poor, especially when I'm driving. I can't tell you the amount of times that my wife, Emily, in the passenger seat has said, no, you've missed your turn, no, go back, please pay attention. If left to my own devices, I would probably get lost, lose my bearings, and head in the completely wrong direction and never reach my destination. But if I have my GPS or Emily there with me, they can correct me, put me back on the right path, and I'll get where I need to be. That's kind of what, what it's like to be rebuked by Scripture. We stray from the path of righteousness, and Scripture can point us back towards God. I remember a couple of years ago, I was sitting in one of those seats there, listening to a sermon on Isaiah chapter 30. In that story, the people of Judah were under attack from the Assyrian army, but they put their trust in Egypt's army rather than God for their protection. It struck me then that I was a lot like Judah. Whenever I was feeling under attack or overwhelmed, my first instinct wasn't to turn to God. It was to trust in my own ability to save me. Scripture showed me where I was going wrong and how to correct my path. It showed me that God is the one who is in control, not me. He is the first one that I should turn to. He is the one that deserves my trust. So assess yourselves. Is your Bible GPS telling you that you are lost and heading down the path of sin? Maybe you're struggling with lust. Maybe you're worshipping your money. Or maybe you're constantly losing your temper with the kids. Read the Bible with a humble heart and allow God to redirect you back to the right path. Once you've done that, you can think about correcting and rebuking others. Now, I won't lie, rebuking a friend can be quite scary. It's a lot easier for us to say nothing and just avoid the awkward conversation. But rebuking is an act of love. We have to be willing to own that awkward conversation. 
we have to be willing to accept the fact that our words of correction might be thrown right back into our faces. But let me tell you, the risk is worth it. You don't want to see your brothers and sisters fall deeper into sin. The words in this Bible have the power to guide them back to the right path. So please use them. As faithful gospel teachers, we'll use scripture to teach and train in righteousness, but we'll also use it to correct and rebuke. When we do this, we can expect some pushback. This takes me to my next point. Faithful gospel teachers persevere in the truth. Let's keep reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Again, we see Paul hammering down the message to preach the word. We see those same instructions. Correct, rebuke, encourage. But here, Paul adds something new. He tells Timothy to be prepared in season and out of season. Paul knows that preaching the truth of the gospel can be relatively simple and easy if the audience are already willing to listen. But sometimes we'll have to be patient and careful because teaching the gospel may seem out of season. To be honest, most people don't like to hear that there is something deeply wrong with them. Most people don't like to hear that they are not right with God. Most people don't like to hear that Jesus is the only way to salvation. To the world, the gospel is extremely offensive. Verse 3 says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So these people, rather than listening to the truth, they will follow teachers who tell them what they want to hear. Has anyone seen this gospel before? This documentary, American Gospel, Christ Alone, is about how the gospel has been distorted through American culture. It tells about the prosperity gospel, which claims that material wealth and perfect health is always in the will of God. It teaches that faith, positive speech, and donations to the church will increase your wealth. Teachers like Kenneth Copeland say, you get spiritually rich and you'll get financially rich. Or maybe you've heard Benny Hinn say, I don't need gold in heaven, I gotta have it now. To the average person on the street, that sounds like a pretty good deal. God wants me to be rich? Amen, sign me up. It's exactly what the people's itching ears want to hear. But you can't find any of that in the scriptures. 
In fact, the Bible tells us the exact opposite. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Paul said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. These truths of Christian suffering and self-denial are clear in scripture. But you never hear the prosperity preachers talking about it. Why? It's because they don't teach the scriptures faithfully. They just tell the audience what they want to hear. Rather than teaching the truth about God, they teach myths. Verse 4 says, They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. What myths are you drawn to? The myth that you must earn your way to God? The myth that God only loves you when you're good? Or what about the myth that you can walk around thinking you're better than everyone else because you're a Christian? I definitely fell for a myth. Before I was a Christian, I thought that even if God was real, I was a pretty good person. You know, sure I lied sometimes, but they were just little white lies. Sure I used God's name in vain, but everyone does that, come on. I'd make it into heaven. I'd be fine. But then someone who cared for me opened up the Bible and showed me in Scripture the truth. The truth that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The truth that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It would be a disaster to see people in our church drift away from the truth. It would break your heart to see your child be misled by the likes of Kenneth Copeland. As faithful gospel teachers, we're called to protect the church from these myths. Let's see what Paul suggests that Timothy should do. Verse 5. But you... Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. In other words, keep teaching the scriptures. Don't give up. Endure, endure, endure. This won't be easy, church. We don't have complete influence over those who we teach. Parents, you can teach the Bible at home, but you can't always control what they hear from their friends at school. You can lead great discussions in YF small groups or in life groups, but you can't control what those members hear outside, online, or at work. The best that we can do is persevere in teaching the truth. Prepare your kids or your students or your friends for the real world. Equip them to recognize myths and show them what the Bible really says. The only way to fight lies is with the truth. The only way to fight lies is with the truth. It won't be easy, 
but God promises that it will be worth it. That takes me to my final point today. Faithful gospel teachers store up treasures in heaven. Let's read from verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Once again, Paul acknowledges that he'll likely be executed soon. He says that his departure from this world is near. But I want you all to notice something here. Paul is not afraid of death. He actually sounds quite confident. He suffered so much already, yet he's very satisfied with his life. Where does his confidence come from? Paul is 100% convinced that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has earned his salvation. He knows that when he dies, he'll be with Jesus. This is what Paul said to the church in Philippi. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Paul was able to endure suffering and death on earth because he was motivated by his reward in heaven. Verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The crown of righteousness. What does that mean? Is there a literal crown waiting for Paul in heaven? Is he going to be crowned the prince of heaven? That can't be. Jesus is the prince of heaven. Jesus is the king of kings. Now this crown of righteousness is not a royal crown, but a victor's crown. In the ancient world of sports, the athletes who were deemed champions were awarded a victor's crown. It was usually made of olive or ivy leaves, but soon after the competition, these leaves would wither and die. This is what Paul said to the church in Corinth. They, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul knows that the prize of righteousness, the crown of righteousness, will last forever. It's worth fighting for. It's worth enduring his sufferings on earth for. Do you notice how Paul doesn't point to his own achievements? He doesn't say, I did the most for the church, so I'm the one who's going to get the crown. You can't get this crown by trusting in your own good works. That kind of attitude breeds only arrogance and pride. Instead, Paul says that all believers with a longing desire to be with God will receive the crown. That incredible prize of being forgiven and made right with God we receive that by faith, not by our works. Okay, so we know that as Christians, we've been forgiven and we can look forward to the crown of righteousness in heaven. 
This matters because our expectations for tomorrow change how we live today. Our expectations for tomorrow change how we live today. Now, guys, this is my first time preaching. I'm not a pastor. I'm actually a physio. So when people come to me with an injury, I'll usually give them exercises to get stronger or a bit more flexible. But sometimes, if necessary, I'll also do some hands-on treatments as well. Now, if you guys have ever been to a physio, you will know that these treatments aren't relaxing. It's not like the massages that you get at a beach resort. They can really hurt. I might stick you with needles. I might dig my elbow into your hip. But whenever I do these treatments to my patients and I hear them groan, do you know what they say to me? Keep going. I can take it. I know I'll feel better afterwards. Their hope for relief tomorrow helps them to endure the pain of today. This is what it's like to be a faithful gospel teacher. It won't be easy. We will suffer hardships. But the future hope of our crown of righteousness motivates us to keep going. If you see a youth group student walk away from church, look forward to heaven, endure, and trust that God is still faithful. When you face discrimination in the workplace for sharing the gospel, look to heaven and remember your reward. That heartbreak is very real, but we can take comfort knowing that Jesus has already achieved everything for us. We can take comfort knowing that this suffering is not all that life has to offer. We have eternity in heaven with God to look forward to. And that makes it all worth it. Friends, this letter was Paul's last chance to show Timothy what it meant to be a faithful gospel teacher. He said that we're to use scripture to help others understand salvation by faith in Jesus. We're to use scripture to teach and train, but also to correct and rebuke. We're to persevere in teaching the truths of the Bible. And we're to endure hardships, looking forward to the crown of righteousness in heaven. Now, before I finish today, I want to leave you with some final questions to ponder. Do you strive to be a faithful gospel teacher? Do you value the scriptures as being the precious words of God? Or do you simply see it as being a chore to read it and teach it? Are you willing to hear the hard truth from your gospel teachers? Are you humble enough to accept corrections and be guided back to the correct path? Are you training believers to persevere in the truth and turn away from the myths of the world? And when things get tough, do you look forward to heaven for your motivation and your prize? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Because we have been forgiven, we can look forward to the crown of righteousness waiting for us in heaven. 
Let this motivate us to endure hardships as we teach the gospel. Help us to remain true to scripture and raise a new generation of believers who love your word and long to be with you. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen.